0: Welcome to Indigo Studio. Today, Jonathan Ike is with us. He's a native New Yorker, but he now lives in Chicago. He's a graduate of Northwestern Medill School of Journalism. He's written for the top newspapers in the country, Dallas Morning News, Chicago Tribune, Chicago Magazine, New York Times, Washington Post. He lives in Chicago and he's the author of a new book about Dr. Martin Luther King, A Life. He gives us some new information some new news. He's a master storyteller. And along the way, he has written a book about Muhammad Ali. It is a biograph and it is considered the best sports book ever. The book on Dr. King is epic. It's new information, new information, new things to talk about. And today we're going to talk to Jonathan about the new book on Dr. Martin Luther King. Welcome, and thank you for being with us. Thank you, Hermine. So tell me how the book came about. What was your inspiration for a new book on Dr. King after 55 years of his death?
1: Yeah, you know, I was interviewing um, a lot of people from my Muhammad Ali book Mm -hmm. who happened to also know Dr. King, people like Dick Gregory and Harry Belafonte and Andrew Young and Reverend Jackson here in Chicago. And as I was talking to them, I realized that there's a limited window of opportunity really to interview people who knew Martin Luther King really well, knew him personally, knew him intimately. Worked and with him. Worked with him, um, traveled with him. Friends of his from childhood even were still around, schoolmates, and I just thought what a great opportunity. And we hadn't had a King biography at that point in something like 35 years if you can believe it. Mm-hmm. And in that time we've kind of turned him into a monument and lost sight of his humanity. We've
0: made him a saint.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. and I wanted to write a book that created a more intimate portrait. So that's what I set out to do six years ago.
0: And you talked about his entire life uh, from childhood. Dr. Michael Dyson, friend of ours, uh, says that Dr. King was the best American. You say Dr. King is an American founding father. Explain that concept to me.
1: I agree with Dr. Dyson that he may be the greatest American ever born Mm -hmm. to accomplish what he did without political power, without money, but I think we should also think of him as a founding father because the Constitution is a living and breathing document, and when the Constitution was created, it was not accurate. It did not really provide equality for all. It did not provide freedom for all. And Dr. King came closer to anybody in the history of this country toward pushing us toward delivering on the promises of the Declaration and the and the Bill of Rights. So I think um, he deserves to be considered a founding father. Not perfect, but um, but truly heroic. He forced the Constitution and he challenged it. That's did right. he not? He absolutely did. Okay. He challenged us to live up to the words.
0: Live up to it, for our country to live up to That's it. right. Uh, In spite of the racism, in spite of all of the problems we have, this is the document that we live by.
1: That's right. And King's genius was that he said it was the black people of America who were going to help fulfill the promise of American democracy. The people who've been treated the worst are going to show us the way.
0: And indeed he was right. He was. Uh, A short career, 13 years, but got a lot in, Mm. got a lot in.
1: Yeah, we forget that he was only 26. It's when only he led 26 the Montgomery Bus boycott. When cop. he started, yeah. and
0: only 39 when he That's passed right. away, when he was assassinated. So, what was the surprising thing? As you did extensive research on King, what was the surprise that you learned about him?
1: There were a lot of surprises. Um, one of the biggest to me was just how much he suffered, how emotionally sensitive he was, and how it got to him. You know, we think of him as being fearless, and he was, but that doesn't mean that he didn't struggle to overcome his fears. He suffered from depression. He suffered from depression. He, he attempted suicide twice as a teenager. And then throughout his life, as as an adult, he was hospitalized numerous times for what back then they called exhaustion, but what others, including Reverend Jackson, described as depression. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to recognize that that our heroes have feelings. The other really important discovery that shocked me was just how aggressive the FBI was in trying to destroy him. And that played into his his struggles emotionally.
0: Why did Hoover, J. Edgar Hoover, who was uh, director of the FBI, Why did he hate King so much? He hated King. Yes, he did. Why did, was it hate or was it fear or was it both?
1: It's both. He was absolutely a racist. He belonged to racist institutions. His school, his college growing up had these horrible racist pageants and that was deeply bred within him. But more importantly, I think, he was kind of um, what we would now call a white Christian nationalist. He believed that the way to run this country was with the white Christian people in charge and that it should be a part of the American system of government. And That's why FBI agents were required to attend church and required to attend these kinds of programs to teach them the right way and King posed a threat to that. King posed a threat to the establishment, to the power structure as it existed and that's what scared J. Edgar Hoover. He did not want to share power and he saw that if King could unite the community, if he could Rally white Americans too to get behind his movement, that it might actually shake up this country's power structure. Might change it.
0: Yeah. Might change as he did. Yes, he as did. he really did. So it was a, in one sense, it was really a legitimate fear because he could see what King was changing the structure
1: of the American system. You could make an argument that J. Edgar Hoover was right mm-hmm. that he knew what was coming.
0: King was thrust into leadership, almost modeled into leadership. Graduated from high school, 15 years old. He was in college, Morehouse. Uh, His father was a minister and was preparing him really to take over Ebenezer. Talk about how that, how he was really groomed, if you will, for
1: leadership. It's a fascinating moment in history, and Daddy King and and Mama King, as, as everyone called them, deserve a lot of the credit, because they were advocates, they were civil rights activists before people called them that, but they were fighting for change, and Martin Luther King Jr. grows up in this environment where he sees that everybody has a responsibility to push for that change. That's the message he gets at Morehouse, that's the message he gets in church, that's the message he gets when he goes to seminary, that it's not just about praying to God, it's about forging change in the community and using religion as a tool to forge change. So it's part of his upbringing. It's there, it's baked in from a very early age and he really embraces that.
0: Yeah, he was, he was really groomed for leadership. However, he didn't want to be at his father's church. So he goes to another church, to a new church, fresh start for him. Uh, talk about that.
1: His, his father did not want him to go to Dexter Avenue Baptist right. Church in Montgomery. He said it was too hoity-toity. And you know, Daddy King was a, was a working man, you know, grew up on a farm and he didn't think that a silk stocking church was right for his son. But Martin Luther King Jr. Um, often stood up to his father and, and did his own thing. And he just happened to find himself in the perfect place at the perfect time. Uh, when the Montgomery bus boycott began, Uh, He was new in town, he hadn't made any enemies yet, so they asked him to be the official leader, to be the spokesman for the movement.
0: He was the young minister.
1: He was the young minister, and he had a reputation for being a pretty good speaker, you know, Mm -hmm. pretty good.
0: Jonathan Icke is with us today, and we'll be right back with more on Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. We all know the awesome power of the sun. your solar options could help fill your life with clean energy at comed.com slash clean energy
2: in comes company the hilarious tony award-winning broadway musical about life, love and good company critics give it five stars saying yes it's really that good october 31st and november 12th tickets at broadwayandchicago.com lewis is back a wonderful world the new Broadway-bound musical about the life and loves of Louis Armstrong premieres in Chicago October 12th through 29th. Tickets at broadwayinchicago.com. If you want to advance your education, career, or life, City Colleges of Chicago is close to home and second to none. With seven colleges and five satellite locations, City Colleges is in your neighborhood and online to help you learn and lead from wherever you live. You have a goal, love it, live it, with classes this fall at City Colleges of Chicago. We are business leaders, community activists, healthcare providers, leaders, scientists, educators, athletes, Media professionals, artists, we are Gov State.
0: Closed captioning is sponsored by Governor State University. King ended segregation. In America. That's really the hallmark. And he ended it with nonviolent tactics, of course, that he studied from Gandhi in India. His philosophy was, and this is a quote, that a Negro would wear white Southerners down with the ability to suffer. That's a heck of a concept. I will wear you down with my suffering to make you do right. Was he mistaken? often for nonviolence as passivity.
1: As the time went by, and as he found the movement succeeding, and as more younger African American leaders came in and wanted to push harder and found his approach, his nonviolent approach to be old fashioned. Yes, they accused him of being weak. They said, you know, we need to fight for, for, for our rights. Then we're not gonna we're not going to ever win by waiting for the white community to give us what we want. Mm-hmm. And, and that was hard for King. And And yes, it was a lot to ask the black community to keep suffering. To sacrifice themselves to put their lives on the line in the fight for civil rights you know that's a lot to ask but but king led the way and put his own body on the line and, and he and... was
0: steadfast on nonviolence as the winning tactic
1: absolutely i think he felt like a it was his it was christian um it was you know from gandhi but it was also the best tactic he had the ability to speak to black southern audiences he knew that how to reach them he was raised in the church but he could also speak to Northern intellectuals. He could speak to Northern liberals because he had this philosophical grounding and nobody else really had that ability to speak to all audiences. He didn't, it was the same speech, the same message, the same sermon, but everybody could, could find something to embrace in it. Mm-hmm.
0: He was probably the best speaker we've ever seen in this country. He was magnificent. I would agree. Now, let's go to Hoover. Let's talk about the information that you found. So the the tapes were sealed for 50 years. And so now the tapes have been revealed and you you studied those tapes. You revealed some of those tapes. What did Hoover went to look for communism in Dr. King, but he found something else. Talk about the sex tapes that he found.
1: That's right. And just to be clear, we have transcripts of the tapes. The tapes won't be released until 2027, but we have the transcripts and people who've listened to the, who've who've read the transcripts say they're accurate. People whose voices are recorded there, like Andrew Young, um, Bayard Rustin said that those transcripts were accurate. Jones. Clarence Jones. Clarence Jones. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So what we, we hear, first of all, that King was not a communist, that's obvious. And once the FBI, acknowledged that the wiretaps were put in place because they were afraid that he was consorting with communists and that the communist party might influence the civil rights movement. Once it became clear that he was not doing anything related to the communist activity, um, they had also at that point heard him on the phone with women, um, girls. Um, girlfriends, I should say, women who were not um, his wife, who he seemed to be having, flirting with and, and having relationships with. So that escalated the campaign, the surveillance campaign. That became the obsession, not just of J. Edgar Hoover, but of the Kennedys, of, of President Johnson and other members of the FBI. We can't just blame this on, on J. Edgar Hoover because there were a lot of people supporting this and members of the news media knew about it too. And they could have blown the whistle, but they didn't. Why, why didn't they? Some of it I think was gossip. They, they enjoyed having this gossip. They enjoyed having power. They felt like information is power and they can use this against King if they ever need it. And then some of it is just flat out racism.
0: With this information, talk about the wiretappings. The wiretappings were done in the hotel rooms. Mm-hmm. Wiretappings were done at his home. Right. Uh, so he was really under attack with the wiretappings. They were trying to use them for manipulation, for control, and King never acknowledged it.
1: No, he knew what was going on. He knew, but he
0: never publicly acknowledged it. No. And it did not prevent him from doing what the work that he was really trying to do.
1: That's right. Imagine waking up every morning knowing this could be the day that some newspaper decides to print the story that they've been leaked by the FBI. Imagine every day this is the day that, you know, J. Edgar Hoover goes public with, with this stuff. He had to, He had to live with that cloud hanging over his head all the time.
0: How do you think in history, how does this settle with who King was? King was sexually active, uh, cheated on his wife. How does this settle?
1: The irony of it to me is that having these tapes and having these F- the FBI surveillance actually makes him greater, in my view, mm. because what we hear on the phone, what we listen when we read these transcripts, is a man who's wrestling with, with doubt, with, with, with weakness, right? He's, he says, "People aren't listening to me anymore. I'm worried about all this bad press I'm getting. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm depressed. I need a vacation." And yet, he never gives up. In fact, he only doubles down on his beliefs. He says, and you can hear his advisors saying, "Don't go to Chicago. Nothing good can come from this. Stick to Montgomery. Stick to Birmingham. Stick to the places where you know what to do, where the where the enemy is clear." In Chicago, you know, you're gonna run into forces you cannot really appreciate. And he says, I have to go to Chicago because it's the right thing to do because the segregation, the, the discrimination is just as bad there as it is in the South and I need to go and call it out. Same thing happens with Vietnam. His advisors are saying, you're going to shoot yourself in the foot talking about Vietnam. You're going to lose your influence. And he says, I have to do it because that's the right thing to do.
0: So that's where I see the philosophy of King coming greater than the theology of King, is that he did come to Chicago. He came to Chicago to eradicate the segregation that perhaps we didn't even know. We'll be right back with more on Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. That's the sound of the ComEd Energy Efficiency Program, saving you up to $500 on your energy bills with rebates and discounts on energy-efficient products, hey. so you can enjoy coming back to a home full of savings. Visit comed.com slash homesavings.
2: In comes company the hilarious Tony Award-winning Broadway musical about life, love, and good company. Critics give it five stars saying yes. It's really that good.
1: October 31st and November
2: 12th. Tickets at broadwayinchicago.com. Lewis is back. A Wonderful World, the new Broadway-bound musical about the life and loves of Lewis Armstrong premieres in Chicago October 12th through 29th. Tickets at broadwayinchicago.com. If you want to advance your education, career, or life, City Colleges of Chicago is close to home and second to none. With seven colleges and five satellite locations, City Colleges is in your neighborhood and online to help you learn and lead from wherever you live. You have a goal, love it, live it, with classes this fall at City Colleges of Chicago.
0: Talk about King coming to Chicago and meeting with at Mayor Daley, who was really the most powerful politician, other than the president, in the Democratic Party in America. Talk about that
1: confrontation. It's an incredible moment in American history and Chicago history, too, because it was a moment of opportunity where King comes dealing fair and square with the mayor and says, I'm coming, here's what I'm doing, here are the things that I hope to accomplish here. I wanna put an end to segregated housing, I wanna put an end to slum conditions in these neighborhoods, I wanna see the schools um, integrated um, and and here's how we're going to do it. And here's a concrete set of policies that will change the city of Chicago and could have changed cities all over the country. And King gets of course snubbed, increases the protest, increases the pressure and is treated Miserably here, You know, he's, he's hit in the head with a brick. He marches through Marquette Park and Gage Park and has these Nazis, protesters and young white kids, you know, holding up signs that are as vile as anything he's ever seen in the deep South. And yet he keeps continues. And he presents Chicago one more time with an opportunity to make reforms. And the mayor says, yes, we're going to do this. And then as soon as King leaves town, he ignores all of those things.
0: He considered the Marquette Park, uh, Uh, march the worst that he'd ever seen.
1: During these marches, King and other demonstrators were struck by bricks and bottles. I've
2: been in many demonstrations all across the South, but I can say that I have never seen, even in Mississippi and Alabama, mobs as hostile and as hate-filled as I've seen in Chicago.
0: That's right. Andy Young's car was burned up at the Marquette Park, but we, we got a we got a light out of that. We got Father Michael Flager. He was in that, That's right. he was there, and he came from that. Those were some turbulent years in Chicago. There were six aldermen, six black aldermen, who said, King, go home. Uh, Daley had a firm grip on the churches, black churches in Chicago. He told the ministers not to let King in. There were only a few. It did, Clay Evans of uh, Fellowship would allow King in the pulpit. So Daly was really trying to cut King's legs off, his, like stop it. King moved into uh, the west side right. on Hamlin uh, to showcase the slum landlord uh, living in Chicago. What came out of King? Because if you look at it, and this is what Jesse Jackson says, if you look at it short-term, King lost. If you look at it long-term, King won. Uh, I say that that was the beginning of Harold Washington's election. That was when independent politics really came forth in Chicago, and you saw the northern change. It was King in the south, right to vote, right to vote in the north. Yes, we had it, therefore we thought it's okay but King came to highlight, no, it's not. You're not living the full life.
1: That's right. I agree with you, and I think that a lot of people said, um, a lot of people who I interviewed for the book said to me, you know, King really didn't understand these factors in Chicago. He didn't understand that not all the black churches were gonna get behind him. He didn't understand that a lot of black people owed their jobs to the mayor and to the patronage system, and they weren't gonna come out in March. So in many ways, uh, they were right, and that King learned a valuable lesson from that. And I think in, in the aftermath, what people like Reverend Jackson, what people like um, you know, all the political leaders. Andrew or, Young. Andrew Young, mm-hmm. and, and uh, Harold Washington learned is that we're going to have to take to the, to the ballot box. We're going to have to get our leaders elected here because we're not going to be able to force the kind of pressure that King forced in the south. Mm. That's not going to work here. And you see in the aftermath of King's death, all over the country, especially in northern cities, Black mayors starting to get elected, black councilmen getting starting to get elected, because the the, the battleground sh- mm-hmm. changes mm-hmm. to the to the to the ballot mm-hmm. box.
0: So he King believed that if we assumed black political power, that the change that we needed would come. You agree with that? Disagree with it?
1: I do agree with that. I think that I think was, was King's right? vision, and King was right, and we saw that bear out in the 70s as more um, uh, as elections became uh, a, a new lever of power.
0: Do you think that as hoover was harassing king that maybe some of the reports that hoover received from the fbi agents Might they have been exaggerated just to calm Hoover down?
1: That's absolutely a possibility. So we can hear or we can read the transcripts of his conversations with women. We know he was flirting with these women and I believe those transcripts are accurate. But anything in a memo that's not a transcript, we have to judge with some skepticism. We have to remember that all of these FBI agents were trying to please the boss and that they would write things that they thought would, would get the boss off their back.
0: One of the things that fascinates me about King is his fundraising. There were no grants, there were no foundations, but he kept going. Talk about Birmingham, what happened in Birmingham because that's where some change to America came as uh, they marched across the Pettus Bridge.
1: Yeah, you could argue that that's King's most um, significant movement, that that's the, the moment where he really changes America because it leads to the passage of such significant legislation. But again, you know, we talked about King as this parachute artist that he's dropped. Birmingham isn't working for a long time, and it comes after a series of other failures he's had in Albany, Georgia, and, and St. Augustine, and people are saying, oh, you know, King's lost it. He hasn't had a real success since Montgomery. And Birmingham is flopping again in part because some of the black church leaders weren't behind him and they were running out of people to get arrested until they brought in the kids and asked high school students to join the lines and put them in the, in the face of peril, which and you know, offended a lot of people. You know, you can't put your kids' lives on the line, but that's what turned it around. And then, you know, Bull Connor and his police dogs and water cannons really shocked white people in the north in a way that they hadn't been shocked before. So again, it's King improvising. Uh, and being willing to take those chances that makes Birmingham such a success.
0: That's the genius of his leadership, is he could improvise. And it was situational analysis, what do we do now? Uh, not necessarily a plan, but situational analysis, lets accommodate what we see. Bringing the kids in, that was a Jim Bevel uh, initiative, is to bring the kids in, lock them up in jail, we will fill the jail cells until you can't fill them anymore." It took King three attempts uh, to cross the bridge. It wasn't, let's march today. It was uh, also, let's go get the nuns, let's go get the priests, join us in the march, and people from all over America came to the march. Uh, That was very significant. One of the things that's most impressive about King is how he used the media. He used the media as a tool. The uh, black press, the press in the South was not necessarily covering King, but the New York Times was. CBS came. Talk about Coretta Scott King. Uh, They wiretapped her too. That's right. And you had opportunity to listen to some of those tapes. What was revealed to you?
1: Well, uh, one of the reasons I really wanted to write this book is to give Coretta her due. She's often just treated as the woman behind the throne, you know, the the power behind the throne, but she's much more than that. She was a true um, activist in her own right. In Mm -hmm. fact, I think that's why King fell in love with her, Mm -hmm. was because when they met, she had more experience as an activist than he did. She'd been to Antioch College, she'd been involved in protests on campus, she'd been to the Progressive Party National Convention. She She was a serious force to be reckoned with, and King really respected that. At the same time, it was complicated. King did not respect women in general as leaders, potential leaders of the movement. Last question. What do you think is Dr. King's greatest speech? Wow, um, there's That's so many obviously. A, I know. And the speech that I think that sums up his life is actually the Beyond Vietnam speech That's at Riverside right. Church. Riverside. He didn't write that one and it's not a sermon. He you know, had a team helping him to write it, mm-hmm. but it sums up his philosophy and it's saying that I cannot be true to my Christian beliefs if I'm going to pick and choose the things that I fight for. I have to fight for all of the things that I believe in. And, and, and he's giving people the courage to say, you know, stand up for your true beliefs. You don't have to be a politician. You don't have to do the practical political thing. You can fight for what you truly believe, and that's a message that I think, you know, really gives me goosebumps.
0: Really, if you really want to know the King philosophy, it is the Riverside speech that you must listen to. I think one of the critical things to know, to remember, to recall as we assess Dr. King is the changes that he brought about was private citizen Martin Luther King, not elected Martin Luther King.
1: Yeah, and it's so much more extraordinary to think about how much he accomplished without political power, without money, without weapons, you know, with peace and love and the Bible and with boots on the ground. It's extraordinary.
0: One man can make a difference. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks Thank for you me. for being with us. Thank you for a great interview. And uh, you should read about Dr. King in a masterful storytelling way in Jonathan's book. Thanks for being with us today.
2: I'm tired of marching. I'm tired of marching for something that should have been mine at birth. I don't mind saying to you tonight. I don't mind saying to you tonight that I'm tired of the tension surrounding our days. I don't mind saying to you tonight that I'm tired of living every day. Under the threat of death, I have no model complex. I want to live as long as anybody in this building tonight. And sometimes I begin to doubt whether I'm going to make it through. I must confess I'm tired.